Hello there. Welcome along to the podcast, Sport and Life. Thank you for hitting on the button. I hope you're well. Sunny Wednesday, the 4th of November. Looks like a beautiful, crisp day. Been a nice jog this morning. Thank you to the sponsors of the podcast, local to me, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. Check out Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham's social media, Twitter, Instagram, I think they're B&O Cheltenham on there. And you can also check out the Bang & Olufsen Cheltenham website. Get in touch. And through Serene AV, it's not just Bang & Olufsen equipment that they stock or source or help design your home entertainment system. They'll be able to kind of work across the gambit of all the, all the technology out there and all the, the equipment. Jason Briggs and his team, fine people. Also, Jason involved in AFC Cheltenham, local football team as well. Um, I think his son's playing for them now as well. He's got a hat-trick, I think, on his debut. The youngster showing up the old... Showing up the old man. Uh, so check out those guys. Thank you to support from the podcast from Cytoplan as well. Food-based supplements. One in particular out is Immune Complete as we look to optimize our immunity in the face of not only COVID, but the, the regular seasonal stuff, isn't it, at the moment, like looking to maintain health and logistically as well, coughs and colds causing issues for me at work, potentially for people, you know, having to isolate or having to stay away from work, so on and so forth. Being a broadcaster, have to... Um, almost try and present a picture of health at the moment because of people's anxiety over over coughs and colds. So uh, cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk. My discount code for 10% off is DRAPER10R, D-A-R-P-E-R, all capital letters, numbers one zero, then the capital letter R. So uh, please check that out and hope you are well and healthy. On that topic of, of dealing with, I guess, um, mortality and the reality of, of, of life and death and, and what we're all being thrust upon us at the moment with the headlines around COVID and elsewhere and other, other issues. Uh, very fascinating podcast and really appreciate his time. Scott Lindsay was the former assistant coach at Forest, assistant manager, I should say, at Forest Green last season or last year, had to leave because his wife Haley became ultimately terminally ill and she passed away in September, I believe, last year, 2019. He has since become a manager at Chatham Town, locally to him in the Southern Counties East League Premier Division. Absolutely flying. I think the top scorers in all of football, averaging about five goals a game. They've had to put their season on hold, though, due to the impending lockdown. They're not registered or, or not classified as elite, even though they've had fans in as a counterpoint to the lower league clubs have actually had supporters in. But Scott talks really powerfully about how football has helped him get over the grief of his, his wife, helped give him a counterpoint to huge challenge of being a father and a mum now to three daughters who are aged currently 10, 15 and 18, I believe. And we talk about that because I have empathy for that because one of my greatest fears, I have a daughter who's six who is just simpatico, like really connected in lots of ways to my wife. Uh, huge, incredible bond between them going up from so it's breastfeeding all the way up not to be too too kind of graphic and I have a great relationship with my daughter spend a lot of time with her but the challenge of, of that prime carer rolling the emotion of it logistics of providing of entertaining of providing a, a, a nice environment I think I really reckon sort of I guess resonated with me uh, and I really appreciate Scott's candor here and a fascinating chap and I'll keep in touch with him as he, he get, continues to manage at Chatham Town in Kent in the southeast of England, but potentially hopefully goes on and, and has a managerial career at a high level as well. Maybe it's with Chatham. Maybe we can get them up and, and keep the role going or keep the ball moving.
but it's a really interesting conversation. I appreciate his time. This is Scott Lindsay. Okay, here we are. Welcome to the podcast, Scott Lindsay. Appreciate your time. Bit of an emotional morning, the morning after the uh, a month off coming up. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm okay. Uh, disappointed, obviously. Um, we've we've done really well. Um, we're top of the league. We're scoring a lot of goals. We're um, we're in a good place, and it, it's kind of come at the wrong time for us. Really, we uh, we were due to play the team that was placed below us on Saturday. Corinthians um, were a really strong side, and we were in a good place. And we, we were we were disappointed to find out that we'd gone down on lockdown. You know, um, yeah, because because we felt that we. We were in a good place to go and, and probably um, win the game next week. So, but listen, it is what it is. It's disappointing as much as it is, but we've got to we've got to get on with it and, and and try and get through these next four weeks and come back as strong as we, we we left off. You had a big night last night, did you? The friendly you said the chairman kind of wanted to get the bar sold out and stuff like that. Was it was it was it a good atmosphere down there? Yeah, it's it's a good place to be anyway. Chatham Town. It's. Um, you know, it's a, a real forward-thinking club and it's a, kind of a hive of activity. There's lots going on down there, obviously, with the uh, uh, COVID measures being adhered to all the time. Um, but mm. the chairman rang me and said, look, with the, with the shutdown imminent, we want to we wanna create, um, a, 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 you know, a final day where we can get a friendly with a local team, Rochester United, who, who's kind of our... Uh, our friends and, and see if we can get um, as many people there as we can and we'll do it as a charitable event and, mm. and if we can I think the biggest thing for the chairman was he's got barrels of beer that he wanted to, <laughs> to shift on quickly so he tried to get as many people down there last night as he could and um, I think the only one who who'd had too many drinks was probably the chairman himself but no, it, was a, it was a decent night and it was a, uh, a good game to finish on you know we give me a chance to, to play some of the players that had not been playing as well so it was, it was well worth uh, well worth it. Good. And are those the players going to give them fitness programs over the next month just to keep ticking over? Is that how you're going to approach it? Yeah, it, it come on, on onto us relatively quickly. So we, we had to get organised very quickly. Um, so last night they, they were all given a, a, a fitness plan um, to go away with, um, which, you know, you, you have to sometimes trust the players to go ahead and do it. Um, we spoke at length last night about the fact that we'd done so well and the reasons why we'd done so well. And it was vitally important for the players to come back as fit as they left. So, you know, the mm-hmm. programme is important that they, they kind of adhere to it and, and do it as best as they can. But it's difficult to monitor, you know, it, it just, you, you can't meet up with them. You can't, you know, there's nothing you can do. You've just got to literally trust the players to go ahead and do it. But I think players nowadays are a lot um, more adapted to do these sort of things as opposed to years ago when I suppose when there was four weeks off you know if there'd have been four weeks off a few years ago players would have just gone you know uh, gone and got drunk and, and, and yeah. just had a good time sort of thing but players are a lot fitter and, and, and they take their the kind of uh, physical health a lot more seriously now. So that, is that semi-pro is it Southern Counties East League are those guys would you quantify semi-pro? Yeah, they, they get they get paid um, for playing for me. Um, they've all got jobs as well. So yeah, I, I think you can you can class it as a semi-professional level. Mm. Do you almost feel that the semi-pro guys have got less anxiety at the moment than say the League Two? Obviously, you were Forest Green before that. That maybe those guys who is their main job are, are more anxious at the moment. Possibly, yeah. Possibly, I think that when you've got um, 
one one job and you've got one thing to concentrate on, it can be a lot more easier. I, I remember myself playing non-league football and you had to juggle a lot of things about, you know, you had to get to training on time and, and you'd be leaving work and, you know, you've got families to think about and consider as well. I know a couple of my players have just had babies as well, so it's difficult for them and they've all got full-time jobs as well as trying to get to training on time and, and of course, uh, performing at a level that, that, that you'd expect them to with the money that they're paying them as well. Mm. So it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot, lot to handle as well. And you, you know yourself as well, because, you know, condolences, I know it was last year, but for the loss of your wife, Haley, that's something that's a huge, significant thing. But you've talked about, and Ash Longridge connected us, former journalist, or he's still a journalist covering Forest Green, and, and you met him there. And he sent us a piece that he'd done with you about how football had, had given you the sort of mental break to, to get through, in a sense. I know you never get through it, but to manage yourself, how important is it? sport to mental health at the moment because it's something to consider isn't it this whole big equation of the pandemic all the ingredients going into it and trying to make the best of it but for you and a, a lot of people it's a it's a huge emotional crutch isn't it in the support yeah it's uh, vitally important it has been for me for sure you know it's i've been in football all my life so it's an environment that i'm used to uh, it's an environment that i trust um some good people that i work with and, and alongside and, and it helps me you know, my wife was poorly at home and I was kind of caring for her and we discussed loads of things and lots of things and, and what should we do about this and and what should we do about that and moving forward and we spoke about after she she was, you know, she'd passed away uh, because it was, um, you know, we'd been we'd been told that she that she wasn't going to get over this so we, we discussed it quite a lot. Um, and one thing that we did discuss was uh, about my football and she knew how important it was to me um she also knew that i needed something you know during this period mm -hmm. and and i took a job um locally with chatham town <coughs> it helped me in, in lots of ways it got me out coaching um even if it was for two nights a week and and, and then on a saturday it was probably enough mm. um for me to to get my head in something else and football's one of them sports that once you're there, you are 100% committed and concentrated on that. And I needed that. Um, mm. And of course, after she passed away, I continued. And it, and, it's, it, it, and it has continued to help me now. You know, I, I get down still now. She's, she's not been gone a year yet. And, you know, it's, a, it's, it's very raw still, um, the passing of Hayley. And football's a big help to me, you know. It's... Um, like I say, it's an environment I'm used to. It's an environment that I trust. And like I say, I've got some good people around me and, and it gives me um, an element of concentration of getting my head out of a dark place and to concentrate mm. on that fully, which is, and sports is, is great for that. You know, you have to be fully in it. You know, you, you can't, can't half dip your toe and you've got to be fully in it. And sport mm. gives you that chance to do that. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it certainly, it certainly does. And I wonder, because I've got a six-year-old daughter and I know you've got three daughters, and I, I sometimes wonder a nightmare scenario if anything happened to my wife just because of how close they are. As a bloke, you feel a bit sort of clunky and clumsy sometimes, don't you? They're in the background just figuring out what to do, but trying to take with, with girls in particular, and it's not trying to be stereotypical, but for, for me personally, there's a, there's a level of emotional intelligence that they have between them 
that you feel a bit like a kind of uh, a giant ape around. It, how, how much of a challenge has that been with, with girls to sort of emotionally get them through it? And I suppose how has football played into giving you a, a, a sort of, I guess, energy recharge as well? I think um, it's a very good point, actually, because Hayley did everything with my girls, you know. I, I lived away from home for, for 10 years um, with the football, being, being, you know, being a full-time coach. And we always made the decision that I was going to do that and, and she was going to kind of stay here and, 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 you know, look after the girls. And I'd come home at weekends and sometimes on my days off. And then obviously in the summertime when the season had finished, I'd be home and we'd be on our holidays. And that's how we lived our life for 10 years. And, and we made that decision based on the fact that football is an environment that obviously you only ever, especially in the management game, you only ever five bad results away from getting the sack. Yeah. So we made that decision that we didn't want to, you know, move all over the country. You know, when I think about the places that I've been to and worked for, you know, I was at Lincoln for two years. I was at Tamworth for two years. I was at Swindon Town for two years. And I was at Forest Green for three years. Mm. And you think, well, you know, if, if I'd have moved the, the, the family around with me, that's a hell of a lot of schools, yeah. that, that, you know, along the way. So I think the decision that we made was the right decision. And um, with that in mind, I'd had done everything, you know, she she organised everything in the home, you know, I mean, I paid, you know, a, a, a large amount of the bills and everything else, but she dealt with everything. I didn't have a clue about, I wouldn't even know who the who the, the energy supplier was. I had no idea, you know, <laughs> Hayley did everything and, and the, the school run, organising um, school uniforms. I didn't even know, you know, anything really. I was really like shocked at how much she did when when she passed away and I had to literally learn all these things mm. and not just not just learn all these things but obviously like you say with girls mm. it's a different kind of mantle isn't it you know what I mean yeah. it's 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 different altogether and I had to and we've grown really close and we was close anyway you know my mm. girls made everything to me anyway but I mean even more so now we're we're really tight now and <clears throat> we've got a great relationship you know I've done the school run this morning you know I'm sorting out the school uniform last night and I cook dinner every night you know and mm. I've just kind of turned into this um what a man. <laughs> yeah it, 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 it's weird because like I said I've been in this tough environment for 10 years and hustle mm. and bustle of a dressing room and and a real male dominated environment to, to all of a sudden I'm combing pushing uh, pushing air and putting putting school uniforms on and, and, and you know, talking like, you know. The, ha the hair's crazy. tough, isn't it? The yeah. hair, if, you, if you're doing ponytails and plaits and all that, because yeah. kind of I've got no yeah. idea. My, my little girl just looks at me with sort of disdain when I try and do her hair. She's, she's better at it herself now. But I was, I was kind of really conscious that I didn't want the girls to think that ain't no good. So I've found yeah. myself into it, and, you know, and I've, I've tried to do everything as best as I can and not to you know, um, mug myself off in a way, you know what I mean? I didn't want the girls to think, oh, he's, like, he's hopeless. Like, you know, I've, I've, learned how to, I've learned how to cook, I've learned how to do lots and lots of things because I wanted, I wanted the girls to, to think that I've had a right go and I've tried my best with it, you know what yeah. I mean? And, yeah. and I'm, I'm still doing that now. But now, like I say, we've got, we've got a fantastic relationship with my girls. And not only that, my oldest daughter's 18 and I didn't want to, I didn't want to park too much responsibility on her either. I didn't want her mm. to kind of take Ailey's place. I was really conscious of that. I wanted her to still remain 18. And, 
and not give her too much to do. And I haven't, you know, I, I do everything still, you know, there's certain things that they do in the, got their little jobs in the, in the house, you know, but you know, mainly it's, it's me that does everything, but they, they've got their little bits, but like I say, they've, they've, they've been brilliant. they you know, they've matured a lot um, since losing their mum and they've coped with it fantastically well, probably better than me in many ways. Mm. Yeah, they're very resilient kids, aren't they? Feel for, you mentioned the 18-year-old, a general point at the moment, I do feel for people at those landmark ages, 16 and 18, with the pandemic that's going on, it's very difficult, isn't it, for them to have those magical moments that I guess we all had leaving school and doing, doing different things. Um, but yeah, it's funny how the, that, that role of a mum and the things you know, my daughter, she had a birthday brought forward, her sixth birthday because of lockdown. So we had cousins over last night. My wife had just bought all these banners and balloons and sort of sent me out to do a couple of things. But suddenly your brain is working in a different way. It's, it's, it, as that prime carer, I can imagine, is, is a huge, a huge transformation. And Scott, one thing that I talked talk to resonated with your story as well was you lost your brother um, when you were younger. Not to, be, not to make, it, make this a really somber sort of occasion for you, the conversation, but it was powerful because my best friend died when I was 21, actually, and he was uh, in a car accident. And actually then uh, I remember playing football and almost just feeling exhausted when I played, but enjoying the escape. And you found that as well as a player, didn't you? That, I mean, it, it sort of helped you twice football in, in your life. Yeah, it, it did. And, and, you know, that was a real kind of tragedy that happened a long time ago. You know, I think it was, uh, well, I know it was 1995. Um, I was playing for Dover in the in the uh, National League. <coughs> and my brother had come down on his motorbike to, to watch the game. And, um, you know, to cut a long story short, he, he was killed on the way home. And um, that was on a Saturday. And on the Tuesday, we played Farnborough away and I turned up for the game with my boots ready to play and the manager was Peter Taylor yeah. um, at the time and, and he said what, what on earth are you doing here? Mm. I said well you know I've come to come to play and he said well I didn't even expect to see you tonight you know I've, I've not yeah. I've, I've not even included you in the squad I didn't even think you'd mm. be here <clears throat> and I was a little bit like well you know why you know this, this is what you pay me to do and he said well yeah. you know obviously what happened you, you you know, I don't, you, you need to be at home really with your parents and that. And I said to him, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I, you know, I understand that you've picked your squad and that, so I'm going to do some running, do a bit of running. I'm going to watch the game and then I'm going to go out. He went, okay. And I did that. And, you know, listen, it, it, again, it got me out of um, a dark place and concentrated on uh, a little bit of physical work before the game and concentrated on watching the game. And then obviously on, in the car on the way home, I was back to, mm. to see my parents and, um, I learned a lot from that. I was only, I don't know, 22, 23 at the time and I learned a lot from that and I suppose I always had that idea that no matter what happens in your life, football's a great escape to, and a good environment to be around. You know, there's mm. nothing better than a dressing room, especially as a player, even more so as a player. You know, I always say to young lads now, if they're going through a bad time, come to football, you know, there's, there's nothing better. Uh, nothing, not a better environment that I can think of that you can be, especially if things are not going well for you off the pitch and you've got certain issues going on in your private life, come to football because, as I say, it's a great environment and being around the lads and having the crack and that, not that you're going to have the crack if you're in a bad place, but, Mm. you know, it it kind of... Sometimes laughing can be a big part of it, can't it? Just being silly in a changing room. And there's nothing better and, and you know it's weird that you say that because I used to say that to Ailey all the time even weeks before she passed away we used to try and laugh as much as we could because 
we was in a dark place obviously and we tried to make it as happy as we could for the children you know we had to try and laugh as much as we could and put music on and you know and, and, and try and try and lift everyone's spirits even in a dark place and, and like I say football is a great brilliant brilliant environment for that and I did that I, I learned that from an early age from when I'm losing my brother and I did that I did that all the way through my career. You know, I lost my dad. Who was my dad was my best friend, the real influence in my career. He passed away quite quite young as well. So um, again, carried on with my football and never ever did I have any time off. And and it was never going to be any different when I lost my wife. You know, I remember the chairman. Hayley passed away on the Thursday, and I remember the chairman ringing me on the Friday and said, "Look, you know, I don't expect to see you at the game tomorrow." You know, have as much time off as you want. Have a month off, have two months off, whatever you need, you you can have. I said, I'll see you tomorrow, Chairman, you know, and, and, and I was there the next day ready to go, you know. That's amazing. Um, what was your long-term outlook and how was it affected by your brother? Because when my friend died, I remember, first of all, I felt terrified when everyone was getting in the car. I always felt this kind of panic, but then I also felt a sort of carpe diem mentality. When you think, I try and picture the funeral, I go and visit his gravestone every year on the anniversary of his passing. And actually... It makes you think, oh, hang on, this is temporary. You have to seize it. You have to embrace it. Did it give you a positive in any way, that, that outlook? So I know Darren Barker, who's a former middleweight boxing world champion, he lost his brother, who he says was a better boxer than him. And he's got a real sort of seize the day attitude. He's a kind of effervescent character. Did it inspire you bizarrely in a way about the reality of, of life and death? Yeah, I think it did. I think... Um... My brother was 25 when he passed away and he, he, had a, he had a really good kind of outlook on life. He was a good guy, you know, he, he was a good mm. footballer. Um, <clears throat> he was, you know, he was a good dad. Um, he, you know, he, he, was, he was an inspiration to me anyway, my brother, you know. He was a real solid man and I learned a lot from him, even though he was very young when he passed away. Um, and, you know, I, I always felt, seize the day you know and, mm, and mm. kind of live my life because you just never know what's around the corner um and you don't and it, and it kind of um probably similar to you scared me to start with thinking that how has this just happened you know i felt a lot of disappointment that, and, and anger in a way um i'd lost my brother at such an early age and disappointment in the fact that my brother would have been somebody I would have gone to the pub with when we were not, you know, when we were older and we had grandkids and all that sort of thing. And I was disappointed that I'm never going to get that opportunity. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've, I've felt inspired by him more than anything. And, and, and the fact that he was so young when he died, he had a great life, like I say, but you know, it inspired me in the, in the fact that you never know kind yeah. of what's around the corner and, and live your life fully. And, do as well as you can and, and be happy as, as much as you can, you know. That's a good attitude in football coaching and management as well, isn't it? Because as you were saying before, you can't really plan too far ahead because it's a fickle, fickle beast. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, I always say when, when, you, when you go to a club, you, you'd like to think that you were going to be there, you know, forever. But football doesn't work like that, does it? You know, you, yeah. you kind of... Um, in the melting pot of the game and <clears throat> it's a very intense environment as manager you've got to win you've got to, you know you've got to get results you've got to play well you've got to appease everybody you've got to appease the, the, the supporters you've got to make sure the players are always happy it's a real tough environment um, but it's what we love isn't it you know mm. it's what what we all kind of I certainly love it and you know I spent a lot of time 
studying the game and, and working on, on getting my qualifications to, to become a, a good coach and a good manager. <clears throat> and it, and it's, it's the game we're in, isn't it? You know what I mean? And, mm. and it'd be great if you could put your stamp down and stay at one club for a long time. But of course, results doesn't always <laughs> happen and, and you moved on. Yeah, it's it. It's a strange one. I don't know whether it's positive as well. We look at stories like Sir Alex Ferguson getting that sort of four-year grace period at Manchester United and then what he achieved afterwards. You wonder if it's, if it's pragmatic at clubs. But you had the role at Forest Green of assistant manager. How does that vary with, with head coach? Are you a kind of bridge between the players and the head manager? Is there a sense of, not split loyalty, but you kind of have to be a go-between? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think um, it's a good point. Uh, point I think the manager should always have a little bit of distance anyway from the players. I think that's important. Mm. And and I think that the assistant manager supports him fully. Um, you know, he, he, he can not always agree with what the manager decides. Um, but as soon as that decision is being made, it has to be full support. There can't be any... Um, you know, you can't be able to put a fag paper in between in between <laughs> you. It's important that you tie it all the way through. And I made sure um, throughout all my um, time as an assistant manager or first team coach that that was always the case um, and, and always backed what the manager's decision was. And then try and, um, like you say, have that go between between the manager and the players and, and make sure that there's a smooth um, relationship throughout the, throughout the whole building and... and you know, it sometimes can be a difficult job, <coughs> um, especially if you have um, high opinion on, on the game yourself as a, mm. as a coach. You know, I think it, it can be frustrating at times as an assistant manager, um, but it also can be very rewarding, you know, um, because you end up having that good bond with the players that the manager maybe doesn't have. Um, and, and I enjoyed my time as an assistant manager. I prefer to be a manager, if I'm totally honest with you now, in my time of my life. Um, I think I'm equipped now to be a manager and make decisions for myself. And like I am now at Chatham Town, I've got good staff around me. Um, I've got real um, experienced um, director of football who, who kind of assists me on the touchline as well. He's a guy called Carl Larriman. He's um, 16 years um, at Arsenal with Wenger. Um, working as the under-23s coach and, and all the way through the academy. <clears throat> Very knowledgeable coach. Um, and I lean on him a lot. You know, he's mm. 12 years older than me, but I lean on him a hell of a lot. He's got great experience. I always make decisions and he always kind of abides by him, but mm. I lean on him a hell of a lot. And I think that's important as a manager to, to, to have good people around you and not kind of just think that you can do it all and, and your decision's final and no one else really matters. I think it's important that you you share the load. Yeah, being humble, I suppose. So you sort of kind of percolate with the feedback and then then you ultimately come to a conclusion, but you have to be open to that feedback before you before you make the call. Exactly that. That's exactly it. You know, and not just Carl, I've got a good goalkeeping coach. I've got a good um, assistant manager as well in Darren Smith, who's an experienced player who's played a lot of games in non-league football. And, and I, I kind of listen to everybody. And like you say, you know you're the one that has to make the final decision. So you, you take snippets of everything and, and, and mm. come up with what you think's right. And, and once, like I say, once you've made a decision, everybody supports. Everybody supports. And that's the, the great thing about it. You obviously about having, good, about having good stuff, you know. 
Yeah, yeah, certainly people you trust both ways and, and <coughs> with that and with the, the players as well. Uh, how do you reflect on your time at Forest Green? Obviously, it's a traumatic way in, in which you left and not the way you'd have liked to, but do you, do you have a lot of positivity with the getting up into the Football League and I suppose sort of real sense of momentum around the club? Yeah, it, it's, it's probably my biggest achievement um, in terms of coaching, you know, taking a small village club um, on the top of a hill in the Cotswolds mm. um, to Wembley and, and taking them up from from the National League into the into the Football League was a brilliant, brilliant day. You know, I remember it really well. I'll never forget it. Um, my family were there. Hayley was there, and and it was a fantastic day for my family as well because I think they know or they knew how much it meant to me and how much work that I put in, and and it was it was great for them to to see us achieve something as well. But no, it was it was a brilliant club. Um, and you know, I'd like to see them really achieve and, and, and get up into into League One and, and further again. You know, which I think that that's what you know when I went in, that's what the aim was: is to is to climb the table, you know, climb through the tables. Mm. Do you still do you still keep an eye on them? Do you watch the games? At the highlights? Yeah, 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 yeah. Do yeah, I always look out for their results and, mm. and hope that they've done well and and you know hope that they've won. And like I say, I, I had a really good relationship with the supporters there, and still speak to a lot of them as well now. <clears throat> I had a good relationship with the press, the players. You know, it was a fantastic club, and you know, I was disappointed when I had to leave. How do you reflect on the rivalry with Cheltenham Town? Because I live in Cheltenham now, and it's it's funny the uh, the locals here say it's a pretty new one, but it's pretty fierce. I think it was 2018 April. We went to a game, and I was going out for coffee in the morning in the centre of town, and then I heard that fans had been arrested on the prom at 10 in the morning or something, having a few beers and and all this kind of stuff. So it was a new rivalry, but a really passionate one, wasn't it? Yeah, I think um, they're all they're all really good to be involved in their derby games. You know, yeah. I think it's difficult this year because I know they only played last week, but um, the fact that there's no supporters kind of kills it a little bit, doesn't it? You know, but I always remember getting on the coach and <clears throat> you had that little bit of an extra buzz on the coach, and as you travelled into Cheltenham and you saw the fans kind of you know in the streets and it, it just had a special feel about it and yeah we, we always enjoyed and I think when I was there we always did well against Cheltenham as well mm. you know I think we always won um, <laughs> so you know we, was, um, we had a good side and, and not, uh, Cheltenham had a good side as well so they were always really competitive games and you know I enjoyed it I enjoyed the rivalry you know I'm really good friends with Russell Milton the uh, assistant manager at Cheltenham so you know there was mm. never, never any malice or anything like that it was always healthy kind of competition and you know it was a good it was a good uh, a good derby you know the Cheltenham El Glossico as they call it yeah yeah the El Glossico yeah although someone told me that should be <coughs> involving Gloucester City there's always people pedantic on social media who say no Gloucester City should be involved in the Gloucester and all this stuff so there's loads yeah. of different, different points actually yeah that. but it's it's a it's a passionate passionate one for for sure um, are you concerned about clubs at, at that level at the moment because of the, the lack of gates? It seems that their income revenues are hit even harder than the, the big boys. Yeah, I think so. You know, it's a shame, really. You know, um, there's clubs that will rely on that income, obviously. In fact, probably all of them do. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, the, the sooner we get back to normality, the better for, for, the, for the good of the game, really. You know, even sort of like below that level, you know, with the conference or the national league as, as it's called now and, and below that you know it, it's difficult um, we, we wasn't too bad at my level because 
we had we was allowed 300 supporters in, so at least we had some kind of mm. income coming in. Um, but yeah, it's difficult and it's sad, really. And not only that, I think from a revenue point of view, for sure, but also from a, from a playing point of view, I think you watch the games um, on live streams and that, and just dead, aren't they? There's no atmosphere, mm. and it must be really difficult. Um, you know, I listened to Mark Cooper's interview from from last night's game and. Um, they played late in Orient last night, and I think that mm. it, it's a, a challenge for the players to, to to try and play. And I think it's difficult for all all the, the kind of coaching staff and management staff to to try and play at a level with, and and, and of course with it being COVID, they're playing every Tuesday, Saturday, so they've got a, they have a real strategy about how they recover, how they train, mm. you know, to, to use every player in the squad, and, and it's difficult at the moment. Yeah, it seems like home advantage isn't really an advantage anymore, is it? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Manchester United fan. I think we've got one point at home so far. Yeah, some strange results out there, isn't there? You know, you see it in the Premier League, some real strange results, and it must be because of, of what's going on. It has to be, you know. And you know, it's important that we get back to uh, normality as soon as possible. I know that's not going to happen probably for, for a while anyway, but um, it's important for the love of the game and, and for the good of the game that we, we get back to normality. What was Dale Vince like to work with at Forest Green quickly? And the, the veganism. Are you, are you vegan now? Or are you cooking your <coughs> no, daughter's no, meat? Never no, no, I never was. But no, listen, Dale's great. He's, uh, he's got some great ideas, hasn't he? You know, and he, he promoted the club um, in a mm. positive way all the time. And it was a good place to work. And I had a good relationship with the chairman there. And, he, you know, and, and, and I wish him all the, all the best in the future. And, um, but it's a, a real positive club. It's uh, got some great ideas. Um, the veganism and that was good. Um, good practice. Um, the organic pitch. It was all kind of good media f- for the football club. And, mm. <coughs> and long, uh, long may it continue. You know, I, I never. Um, I, I, don't get me wrong. When I was there, I, I, I ate the food and, and I enjoyed it. I thought the, um, you know, the, the kitchen staff, Jade. She was a really good chef and. The food was fantastic on match day and I, I really bought into it. Mm. You know, when I went home, I, I carried on eating as normal. But when I was at the football club, I, I did to what we had to do. And it was, I enjoyed it. I really did. It was some, some really good food. But no, it's a good club, like I say. And yeah, Dale was great. Good guy to work for. And, you know, as I say, he's, he's really ambitious with the football club. And, and I hope they do really well. Yeah, got a lot of attention. It's funny when we run their sort of pre-match stuff, I remember on Sky Sports News, it'd always be like a cow crossing the road in the Cotswolds before you get into it. And they're kind of iconic in that sense, again, <laughs> a unique identity. Do you feel that that sort of intrigue around them, does that help a little bit? I know that what, what matters on the pitch is key, but do you feel that that can kind of, it, it allows people to be aware of them, particularly in the local area, it can potentially lead to bigger gates when people are allowed back in? Yeah, I really enjoyed my time there, not just because of the football, but actually living in the area was a beautiful place to live. You know, I, I, I was, you know, um, I lived in Tetbury um, mm. and, and you used to travel kind of, you know, from, from town to town. And, and like you say, there'd be cows crossing the road and <laughs> I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I used to get my, my family used to come down a, a lot and, we used to spend a lot of time there and on Minchinampton Common and oh, yeah. get an ice cream and, and yeah, it was just a, a real fantastic place and I loved it. I, I really did. I, I really I could have stayed there forever. You know, it was a fantastic place. Mm. Um, but yeah, in terms of uh, the support side of things and, and, the, and, the, and the fans, 
um, yeah, I think it's uh, is a unique kind of football club. I think in terms of on the pitch, we were hated a lot. You know, we <laughs> we were hated a lot. You know, it was always difficult. Teams always wanted to beat us, and uh, you know, supporters from the opposition hated us, and they used to sing their songs and that. And yeah. <clears throat> but we liked our, we liked us. You know, we liked ourselves, and and we just got on with it. And was that because Dale's no, I, charismatic? You think because Dale Vince is quite sort of prominent in the media that people sort of had that resentment at that level? Did they against him? Possibly, yeah. And, and not only that, I think the veganism they jumped on that, didn't they? A lot of clubs mm. jumped on it and and kind of tried to hit us on that side of it. But it was all good fun, <laughs> you know, and it, it probably re- would remain that way as well, you know, moving forward when the fans are allowed back in. I think I think it's all good fun, but. No, the, the supporters down there, I had a, like I say, had a really good relationship with the fans. They were fantastic, real good group, real good group. And, and you know, there's a lot of youngsters starting to come, so they were building kind of a younger generation of supporters, which was which was important, um, you know, um, for a scheme that they did down there. But now it's a really good club. Did the players feel good on the veganism? I don't want to labour the point, but it's interesting when you read back to like 1960s footballers and stuff would have steak and chips before games and stuff like that, which seems a heavy load to carry around. Did they feel fit and light on it before the match? I think um, new players probably struggled, obviously, when they'd been used to eating certain foods uh, throughout their careers. You know, you'd sign a player and he'd probably been used to having a certain thing uh, before a game, you know, whether it was you know, eggs on toast or whether it was a bit of chicken, whatever, you know, um, and trying to get them to change was, was made mainly the difficult thing. But once they were kind of, um, not, I wouldn't say converted, but once they were with us for a period of time, they just got used to it and players never never really moaned. You know, they got on with it and it was fine. You know, we, we used to travel away and, and eat vegan food in the hotels and the players just accepted it. Um, and some of them actually embraced it more than others you know obviously you know, we, had, we had players actually became vegan in the end through, through, through this so it was positive things but I think the hardest thing was the players when they first come in and they'd been used to having their whether it was like I say whether it was steak or chicken, chicken pasta or, or something yeah yeah you know every, every player has a different way don't they and a, <clears throat> a set kind of meal that they'd probably eat mm. and they've eaten for all their careers I think that was the hardest thing but once they'd once they've been with us for a while, they kind of got used to it and it wasn't a problem. Yeah, routine is so key for players, isn't it? When they eat and how they eat. It's, it's interesting. Making that change is, is a big thing. Scott, how do you feel? Because obviously your youngest daughter's 10. I just wanted to, to round up just by asking you what your plans are and what you see. You want to get back into management, but is that it's sort of geographically constricted now to southeast, I suppose? Um, never say never. You mm. know, never say never. I think I'd have to consider um, everything, obviously. Um, Molly, my youngest daughter, is um, quite clingy with me at the moment. Um, so I'd have to consider every possibility um, if I was to be offered a job in the north of England or you know a distance. I wouldn't never say never, but you know it, it, I'd have to consider because my family at the moment and. You know, are in a in a precarious position where they've just lost their mum, and I have to make sure that they're looked after and cared for. And and the last thing they want to see is their dad all of a sudden mm. chip off and go get a job at, on the other side of the country. You know, so it's important that I'd have to consider everything. And and not only that, I think that um, I've built a, a 
a life now here where I'm I kind of like what I do. I've got a really strong relationship with um, the football club I work for. Mm. We're building something special here. Um, I, I'm into a routine now, how I live. You know, I get up, do the school run, um, do certain jobs throughout the day. Do Laundry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and mopping floors and hoovering and stuff like that and stuff that I've never done, ever. Mm. And, and, and preparing the training sessions, obviously, for, for my football and do quite a bit of work with that. And, and then, obviously, before you know where you are, you're doing the school run again and then you're preparing dinner. And So I've kind of built um, a routine that I like. And, yeah. but like I say never say never and if offers come in we, we always have to consider we always have to consider but I'm I'm really happy with with what I'm doing at the moment you know I'm like I say I'm a good football club um, and my life's kind of in a position that I, I'm I'm okay you know I'm yeah. okay it's, it's a good I've got a great support network as well you know I've got good people around me so so it's all it's all cool at the moment, but like I say, never say never. Yeah, well, that's great. It's really good to hear. I know you've probably got laundry to do and floors to mop, but quickly, but just, just thought if anyone's listening to this, and at the moment as well with the pandemic, a lot of people are fearful. <coughs> maybe have people ill, have lost people. What would your advice be in terms of handling grief? Because as you were saying, it's a sort of balance between giving yourself time to process it, but also giving yourself an outlet and not necessarily wallowing in it, isn't it? I think it's a complex picture. Yeah, I've, I've had some real dark moments as you can imagine you know of and even now you know um it's been it's been very difficult very very difficult and what i, I kind of think of and what helps me <clears throat> i try and i try and think about how much i really wanted Haley to to get over what she had mm. and how much effort i put in and energy that i put into Haley getting better yeah and 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 how I wanted her to be healthy and happy and live forever. I really put so much energy into that. But obviously that didn't happen. So, so now what I do is I think of how much energy she would want or she would put into wanting me to be happy now. Yeah. And I know, you know what I mean? So I know, I know how much I put in for yeah. her to be well and, and healthy and happy. So I, I think about how much she'd want me to be. To enjoy life, enjoy life, yeah. Exactly, and, and 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 that helps me. And I think, come on, I know Ailey would wouldn't want me to be like this, and 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 it really does. It really kickstarts me off, and and I try and bounce around the day as much as I can with a positive tune and and a positive mindset, and and I do, and I do, and I do it really well. And but there is times where I might be on my own. Like I've just actually watched the finished watching. I don't know if you've seen it. That Afterlife with Ricky Gervais. I haven't. I've seen the te teasers for it. it. Looks pretty sort of uh, emotional. To be it, yeah. it, it's it's fantastic. And and I just actually wa finished watching the second uh, season last night. And mm. you know, God, it it really Close knocks you sideways. Place. I mean, it's, it he literally is me. Mm. You know, when I watch it, I mm. think, wow, he's got he's got a dog as well in the thing. So I've got <laughs> dogs. You know what I mean? He's it, it, just me, and and it's and it's quite sad and, and you, you know it's, I ended up getting in a dark place last night watching it and then wow. this morning I woke up and all positive again you know what I mean it's like mm. it's kind of a roller coaster all the time you're up and down and yeah but I try to be as positive as I can because I always think about like I say the energy I put into to hopefully uh, or the energy I put in and hope that 
Hayley to get fit and healthy and well and happy. And it, it wasn't to be, but I knew I know that she'd want me to be. I know, I know she'd want me to be. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live my life. And not only that, Mum, it's no good for my girls to see me moping around. You know, I want them to feel in a happy environment as well. So yeah, it's a difficult balance. Yeah. It's one that I'm, it's one that I'm coping with. Um, and I think there's nothing wrong with getting in a dark place. There's nothing wrong with it. Actually, you have to. You, you have edit to out. edit on sometime and grieve. You know, you have to. You have to edit on, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing yeah. wrong with not. When I say dark place, I don't mean in a dark place where you want to go and do something silly. Mm. I'm talking about there's nothing wrong wrong with having a cry, feeling um, sad, and feeling sad, and, and, and remembering moments that will make you sad. There's nothing wrong with it. Mm. You know, I, I sometimes look at. Um, I do it quite a lot actually it's kind of turned into a bad habit but I, I look at um, old text messages from Hayley you know and I'll read like for argument's sake I'll, I'll read what, what we was talking about this time last year and, wow. and go through the day and, and, and I'll look at pictures that I took on this day last year and, mm-hmm. um, and there's nothing wrong, and I do get in a sad place but there's nothing wrong with that you have to no. sometimes do that in order for you to get yourself sorted out in a positive way yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. It's really inspiring. I really appreciate speaking so candidly about that, Scott. And I think at the moment, a lot of the thing, a lot of the fear, a lot of the reality of everyone's mortality because they're reading the news headlines around COVID and stuff. I think actually a lot of people are going through almost a shock about that. But that balance between life and death and almost accepting death, but that it hurts when people, when we lose people, but also that we have to try and embrace what we have in terms of life is the, is the sort of positive upside of it. And you're certainly doing that but i appreciate your time and, and keep in touch and we'll we'll um you know monitor chat and town and then and then hopefully i guess when when you're allowed in maybe come up to forest green for a day as well if you've got a game on. yeah brilliant i'd love to yeah thanks i appreciate your time as well thank you wow really powerful stuff found from scott there as i say at the top having a daughter really resonated with me the challenge of emotionally physically logistically catering for three daughters and a young woman as an 18 year old as well without that sort of mother figure is a huge challenge and he's embracing it and a lot of respect for him to do that and we spoke a little bit afterwards about how his 10 year old molly in particular can't sort of countenance him maybe leaving at the moment and, and taking a job elsewhere in the country but i do wish him the best with his future and his career clearly very passionate about football and from all accounts did a very good job as an assistant manager at forest green rovers near to me in Nailsworth in the, in the south of the Cotswolds, beautiful place down there. And really appreciate his candor and, and coping with that grief. And actually after losing his brother as well, it's a tough, tough thing to come into terms with relatively young in your life as a 23-year-old, 22-year-old losing his brother. And then in his mid to late 40s, losing his wife is it's incredible, really. And I understand from losing my friend, it's not the same as a brother, but um, just how kind of discombobulating that can be and how sort of in a way it shakes the foundations and the sort of firmity to life but then there is a positive at the moment of the realization of life being temporary and finite and not knowing and not guaranteed does in some way sort of liberate you if you can keep that in mind to enjoy and, and seize the day but thank you to scott for that candor i really appreciate it let me know what you think of that um, and any comments as well you can write them on itunes because i will see them i know that for some podcasts i know the uh, Bunce and Costello, Steve Bunce and Mike Costello, bu- uh, boxing podcast for the BBC. They tend to read out comments on there. So if you want to start doing that, feel free to. 
uh, on iTunes or elsewhere. Hopefully that will notify me, but you can contact me on social media as well. Ed Draper 81, Ed underscore Draper 81 on Instagram. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Nollison of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Good people, good equipment. Check out B&O Cheltenham on social media and the website and cytoplan.co.uk if you're looking to optimize your immunity go to c-y-t-o-p-l-a-n.co.uk my discount code for 10% off is draper10r d-r-a-p-e-r all capital letters the numbers one zero and then the capital letter r thank you very much for uh, listening to the podcast guys have a very good day to day and wish you if you're listening in the uk the best of luck in the in the lockdown I did put a video on my Instagram just about the sort of basic health key messages that I've learned from experts over the years and just keep moving, keep active, trying to sleep, get your rest. Don't get sort of wrapped up in too many devices if you can. I'll put up a little bit of a record maybe of the things I've learned from doctors and nutritionists and uh, trainers kind of over the past few years. Um, But, you know, I guess we'll just try and control the controllable and I hope you're not suffering too much from anxiety over health concerns at the moment or financial concerns or both and all the uncertainty and the lack of control that we seem to have over our own lives being told what to do. It is a challenge, you know, whether right or wrong and don't question the intent, but it is a challenging situation and unprecedented for a lot of us, for most of us. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Appreciate it, guys. Have a good day. Bye for now.